Hello America, this is your host Mark Dunnigan and it is time for The Daily Answer. I want to think about the book of Job right now and the way I want to start off our podcast is that I'd heard someone recently um, on another kind of venue give I thought was a really great illustration. They said that when they were young they came home one day and came home from school and you know mom was in the kitchen and mom said go up to your room and make your bed and he said he had an attitude you know um he complained he said ah man mom you know had a hard day at school and etc and mom then said again just go up and look at your room and so he goes upstairs and discovered that his mom had hidden a brand new guitar under the covers of his bed. You see, she was trying to surprise and bless him. And he's murmuring. And he said, man, I felt like a jerk. I quickly came down. I apologized. But there's a bit of a similarity between that and the book of Job. Job in chapter 23 is going to complain that uh, God is absent. He can't seem to find God. And he said, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him, fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn the words which he would answer and perceive that he would say to me. In verse 16 of the same chapter, it is God who has made my heart faint and the Almighty who has dispaid me, but I am not silenced by the darkness nor deep gloom which covers me. I just, you know, where's God? Where's God in all of that? And, you know, that's, boy, I mean, we can feel for Job because I think a lot of us have been in a similar scenario when we have, well, not even close to what Job was in, but we we have been in some challenges. And, you know, it's easy to think, well, where's God? Where's God in all of this? But as the reader of the book of Job, you already know something that Job doesn't know. Here is Job saying, where's God? Kind of complaining about God's, God's absence. And yet, early in chapter 1, of all the created things that God could talk about, take pride in, or boast about, of, hey, uh, you know, he, he, could, he could select one of the animals, or, or he could select, like, the, the movements of the universe, or, I don't know, the water vapor cycle, or the Grand Canyon, you know, something like that, like, something, hey, have you seen this, or isn't this cool? Of all the things that God could talk about, when Satan shows up, God wants to talk about just one thing, Job. Have you considered my servant Job? Boy, there's no one like Job. He doesn't talk about the angels. He talks about Job. That's what he wants to talk about. And so here is God who's been praising the amazing character of Job. And Job is off complaining about God's lack of concern, involvement, 
Are we a little bit like that? Here is God wanting to bless us. Here is God put a guitar in our bed upstairs and wants to bless us, wants to surprise us. And we're walking around going like, where's God? Where's God? Where's God? Now, as I noted in that chapter, Job, and again, I, I, I can identify with this, you know, uh, I think probably you can too. There are certain times that it just seems like, where's God in all of this? Where are you, God? And yet in chapter 38, when God actually does, and God's always been there. So I hate to say when God shows up, God has always been there all the time. But when the Lord approaches and answers Job, chapter 38, he, he, he will say, um, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Verse four. I, I think that's interesting. Um, Job has been saying a similar complaint that sometimes we say, where's God in all of this? Where's God? And God says, no, where have you been? And I, I want to come back to that. I want to come back to that. In in chapter 38 and following, God is going to argue from, um, he's going to make the point that Job should have, just like everyone else, Job should have trusted that God knew what he was doing, that God knows what he's doing in running the universe, that there had to be a reason behind Job's suffering, a good reason, because this is God's world and God is wise. And to make that point, he's going to point out just the, the universe. Now, Romans 1 and verse 20 says that, you know, the what has been made, what has been made, it is clear that there is a God and that he is powerful. And that man has been able to see that from the beginning, from the beginning of creation. You know, God's eternal nature and his everlasting power uh, have been clearly seen through what has been made so that mankind was is without excuse. But what I find interesting in that section is some some kind of have this idea that okay yeah god creates universe and the earth but after that he lets evolution take over and and kind of finish everything up and and take care of all the small things that is not the argument of job 38 39 40 41 because god will move from the earth right god will move from the earth and the um, initial creation itself day one he will go from Genesis 1.1, Job 38.4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And then if you go over to chapter 40 and in verse 15, behold now behemoth, which I have made as well as you. Behemoth is one of the creatures on the earth. Behemoth is one of the uh, animals on the earth. And yet God says, okay, I laid the foundations of the earth. Number two, Job, I created you, mankind. Number three, I created all the animals, including behemoth. And God's going to mention a number of them. But I'm just, I, I'm impressed that 
God says, I created behemoth as well as you. It's not that I laid the foundations of the earth and then I walked away and let everything just kind of take this course of time and chance. No. And in fact, that's an, an insulting view of, of creation. As if time, as if just dumb time and chance can create anything or even come close to creating anything with with incredible complexity and wisdom and where it interacts perfectly with everything else that has been made. And so every part of creation reflects the incredible beauty, design, wisdom of the creator, which means that in looking at the natural world, you should already know, okay, I can trust the creator. The creator knows what he's doing particularly when we're suffering, I fully trust that God knows what he's doing in running the universe because I already see it on a daily basis. My question is, are we at that point yet in our lives? Now, during a good portion of the book, Job has been defending himself. And, you know, I understand that because he's being falsely accused by some of the friends. And they're saying, well, the reason you're suffering is because you're such a great sinner. And it's just that God's found it out. You were hiding it. And now it's all come out. That evil people always suffer. Good people are always rewarded. And and Job rightly says that that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't even add up with what you see in reality. Okay. And God will deal with the friends that are wrong. Okay. God will deal with them in Job 42. But you know what? When you look at Job chapter 40, God also deals with Job. It says in verse 6, Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm and said, Now gird up your loins like a man. I will ask you, and you instruct me. Will you really ignore my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? And one thought that just struck me, that I think someone else has made an observation as well on, is that Job has spent so much time defending himself that he's forgotten to defend God. And I think we fall into the same trap at times. We really have an obligation to defend God. Do you, do I do we defend God as we should? When people have a problem with, well, why does that happen in the world? Do we defend God? When people, they don't like something the Bible says, do we defend the wisdom of scripture? Do we defend God? When they don't like some sort of moral teaching that laid down, that Jesus laid down, do we defend God? They don't like something that Paul said. Do we defend God? Or are we quick to throw him under the bus? Now in Job 40, while we're in that chapter, it's interesting that Job reaches a point where he says, I'm done talking. Behold, I am insignificant. What can I reply to you? I lay my hand on my mouth. Once I have spoken and will not answer, even twice, and I will add nothing more. So Job says, I'm done talking. You know, 
I can't answer any of God's questions when he says, what about this? What about this? What about this? What about this? And all of that is meant to teach Job and us the lesson of what are we doing? What are we doing backseat driving God, the Bible, okay, the wisdom behind scripture? What are we doing being a backseat driver? We we can't even, we we don't even know how the physical universe works. And we can't even alter one law that governs it. Or I like what someone said, I barely cast, I barely got out of calculus. Who am I to legislate on how the universe should be run? If I, if, if, if it's far beyond my capability even to create the universe or at least come up with some of the laws that would govern the universe, man, I mean, if, if I can't even like, okay, all I want you to do is come up with the circulatory system. And if it's like, oh, you know, on my own, no, can't do that. I mean, I could not even come up with television on my own or a cell phone on my own. I could not even come up with the telegraph system on my own. Who am I? Who, who am I to be this lawgiver and to be this backseat driver and critic of how the universe should be run? What I'm impressed, though, is Job says, I'm done. But guess what? In the next verse, Job, uh, God answered Job out of the storm and said, gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, hey, God's not done. Job, you may be done. Hey, I'm done talking. God says, I'm not done talking. And you're not done listening. You know, maybe one of the lessons there is that, well, I'm just not going to say anything. Okay, but that's not enough. That's not repentance. Simply not saying anything further is not repentance. And that's what God's aiming for. If we go earlier in the book, in fact, Job has reached a point that he needs to reach when in chapter 42, he says something more than, hey, I'm just going to be quiet. He says, um, I know that you can do all things, 42. You know what you're doing and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And so I'm going to stop being a critic. You know what you're doing. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? It's like me. <laughs> you know me. There I've declared that which I did not understand. I, I, I was I was talking. I was philosophizing on areas that, man, I was not competent to deal with those. Things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now and I will speak and I will ask you and you instruct me. I am not only am I I'm not going to talk anymore, I'm, I'm going to listen and obey. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. I mean, that that's, that's where Job needs to be. And that's, well, that's where we need to be. I'm not God. I am not going to tell God how to run the universe. I am not going to be a backseat driver. I trust he knows what he's doing. In chapter 3, and in verse 25, Job says, For I fear, for what I fear comes upon me, 
and what I dread befalls me. And I'm not sure if that includes like, you know, I always was afraid of something happening to my kids or losing my wealth or losing my health or death. You know, that that's kind of what's up ahead. And that might reveal why God allows all this to happen to him, or at least maybe one of many reasons, is the thing we need to fear is not knowing God, failing to have a relationship with him. We should fear that above all else. The man who has everything, and I even don't like saying everything because no one has, if you don't have God, you don't even have close to everything. But I'm just going to say that in a way like the man who has like, you know, money and prestige and things like that. But God, but does not have God is sailing into a storm with nothing but a little inner tube, you know, kind of one of those inner tubes that kids have with like a duck on it. Because he's neglecting all the eternal realities, ignoring what could really help him, relying upon everything that will fail. He's kind of like the guy who's on the limb and he's cutting the limb off and he's on it, but he doesn't know he's on it. He doesn't know that's the limb he's on. You know, I need to take that to heart. Jesus really hit that hard as well when he said, do not fear those that kill the body. And after that, there's nothing else they can do. And I'm going to add something there. Because a lot of times we fear stuff far more than just a person that could kill us, like persecution. We might fear aging, growing older. We might fear the aches and pains that come with that physical, mental limitations, losing our faculties, giving up our driver's license one day if you live long enough, losing your freedom, outliving your money, not having enough money for retirement, you name it. And yet those are all the wrong things to fear. We need to fear not knowing God. Fear the ultimate loneliness or irrelevance. Fear living and dying without him. The lost are forgotten, but believers are never forgotten. Thus, let us be grateful that God has created the world that clearly manifests his existence. Like Romans 120, Psalm 19.1. You don't need a Bible to know there's a God and he's powerful and wise. Romans 1.20 says the creation would tell you that. But you do need a Bible to tell you what you do need to be saved and how to live and many other things. Be grateful that God has spoken. He's taken the time to do that. And that's been preserved. And that message has come your way. And he wants a relationship with you. You are allowed to know him, know his will, talk to him, be part of his family. All that is priceless. Again, how much time do we spend defending ourselves versus defending God to a cynical and accusing world. Someone noted that the presence of suffering, even the type we see in the book of Job, is a blessing, for there's nothing that can cause us to slow down, stop, think like suffering. Suffering gets our attention like nothing else. And to grow and mature, God needs to have our attention. Well, that's today's episode. Until next time, this is Mark for The Daily Answer. I'll see you in the funny papers.